This is recording number 10799 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Four Square Church in Vallejo, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, January 18, 2009. This message is titled, Faith, Unbelief and Presumption. Today, I wanted to talk to you about the difference between faith, unbelief, and presumption. I think most people pretty much get what the difference between faith and unbelief is. But presumption, I'm not sure that people, myself included, often consider the ramifications uh, in, the, in uh, the differences between presumption and and faith. So today I want us to take a look at all three because sometimes the best way to find out what something is is by looking at what it's not. And this is a day when that calls for faith, living faith. Uh, my wife Sue this week was, was informed that her job is being eliminated. That calls for faith. Now thank God it appears as though she's got I've uh, been um, re, not reassigned, but has been uh, received another job within Kaiser in another facility. Thank God. Yeah. Amen. Thank God. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but all of us uh, are are um, encountering situations all the time, but particularly it seems in this season of our, um, our global life that call for faith. And beyond all that, the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is the, the oxygen of the Christian life. And sometimes what passes for faith is not really does that make sense to you? Amen. And so I want us today to try to get a better idea of what faith is by looking at what it's not. So we're going to contrast faith to both unbelief and presumption. Now we turn to Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, the children of Israel have made their way to the threshold of the promised land. They're, they're on the east side of the Jordan River and uh, they're ready to go in. Now, they, it's taken them a very short period of time uh, to get from Egypt through uh, to Mount Sinai and now to the, to the threshold of the Promised Land. But all of you are familiar with the fact that they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And unless you're familiar with this part of the story, it may be uh, a bit confusing to you uh, when I say that it didn't take them but a matter, a very short period of time to get where they are. So, so where does the wandering come in? Well, the wandering comes in because they failed to go in and possess the land at this point. We're going to read about that moment when, they, when God brought them to the threshold and they wouldn't go in. And because of that, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and a whole generation died off because they, before they actually went in to possess the land. So that's where we are. Chapter 13, verse 1, the book of Numbers. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I, and by the way, Canaan is uh, Palestine, the promised land. Uh, Spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all uh, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. So you get the picture. Um, God says to Moses, send spies uh, into the land just so that you can get an idea of what you're going to encounter. And uh, Moses does that. Now verse 25. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. They had brought back with them uh, demos. (laughs) They brought back with them Uh, some of the fruit that they had encountered just to show the vast riches and richness of the land that God had promised them. And here's their first words. It truly is everything God said it would be. Everything God promised. Make note of that word. Everything that God promised this land is. It flows with milk and honey. Now, verse 28. Nevertheless, the, nevertheless, here's the, <laughs> here's the backtracking. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. These were uh, giants. I don't want you to, to confuse that with the jolly green giant or anything. But these were, uh, this was a race of people that were very large, scary people. And... Uh, and so the spies come back and say, and the sons of Anak are there. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses. Caleb was one of the spies. And said, let us go up at once and take possession. For we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. For they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in in it are men of great stature. Now verse 14, excuse me, chapter 14, verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? Ever whined like this before God? I I do this quite often. That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? In other words, slavery is better than this. It's interesting how perspectives can get changed when you're facing difficult things. Verse 39, chapter 14. What has happened in the interim is that God has uh, said, okay, if that's the way you want it, if you refuse to go in, uh, then uh, I'll give you what you want. 
And you'll wander around in this wilderness until this whole generation of faithless men and women die off. Your children, though, they're going to get to inhabit the land I promised them. Your children are going to possess this place that flows with milk and honey. He's pronounced this judgment. Now verse 39. Then Moses uh, told these words to all the children of Israel. He told them about this, this uh, judgment. And the people mourned greatly. And they rose early in the morning and went up to the top of the mountain saying, Here we are and we will go up to the place which the Lord has promised. For we have sinned. So now <laughs> they're saying... Um, hmm. we're not quite sure we want to wander around in the wilderness and die off uh, we'll go now God we'll go now uh, and then Moses says in verse 41 now why do you transgress the command of the Lord for this will not succeed do not go up lest you be defeated by your enemies for the Lord is not among you he's already uh, said what he's going to do for the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and you shall fall by the sword because you have turned away from the Lord. The Lord will not be with you. But they presumed. But they presumed to go up to the mountaintop. Nevertheless, neither the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord nor Moses departed from the camp. And then the Amalekites and the Canaanites who dwelt in that mountain came down and attacked them and drove them back as far as Hormah. A lot, of, a lot of narrative there, and I'm going to try to bring it into focus for you now. Faith, unbelief, and presumption. Caleb was uh, uh, the one, Caleb and Joshua actually, were the ones who uh, spoke words of faith. Now, they, they, they're, they're in the midst of challenging, a very challenging circumstance, and yet they spoke and laid hold of Faith. Faith. God can do this. What are you afraid of? He's made a promise to us. Let's go. Let's take it. Let's experience all of everything that God has promised for us. And then you have the group who said, the, the, the ten, the rest of the spies, the other ten spies, said, oh no, we can't. There's giants there. There's fortified cities there. And what they're really saying is God can't do what he's promised. Then you have another uh, situation where God has said, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I made a promise. You won't believe me. Okay, have what you want. And then they, they think, hmm, well... Uh, let's reconsider this. Now they find themselves in presumption. Now let's uh, define those terms. Faith trusts God's promises and respects circumstances. Who I, whose idea was it to send in the spies? God's. God's. Sometimes people, when they think of faith, they think of it as though it's sort of blind faith. And you've heard, how many of you have heard that term? Blind faith. I understand what most people mean by that, but one of the subtle inferences when people use the term blind faith is that you just close your eyes to circumstances and trust 
uh, trust God. Now, the trusting God is cool. <laughs> that's what we want to do. But the blindness to circumstances, that's not true faith. True faith keeps its eyes wide open and says, yeah, there's giants there. Yeah, there's fortified cities there. We may have to take certain, uh, employ certain tactics to take these cities. Let's be realistic about what we're up, what we're up, <laughs> what we're up against. But let's not forget the God who's promised. So faith trusts God's promises and respects circumstances. Unbelief distrusts God's promises and fears circumstances. Now we had an opportunity this week when we found out about Sue's job to do that. Distrust God's promises to provide for us, to care for us, and to become fearful of the circumstances. Unbelief distrusts God's promises and fears circumstances. Presumption adjusts God's promises, puts words in God's mouth. God has said, okay, I'm not with you now. You're going to wander around in the wilderness and die off. Your, your uh, children will inherit my promises. And they, and they tried to flip that around some way and put God, words in God's mouth. That's presumption, adjusting God's promises and ignoring circumstances. Now let me give you an example of presumption because that's really the one that I'm, I'm trying to help you understand better today as you try to uh, get a handle more on what it means to be a person of faith because presumption will f- uh, try to weave its way into, into those t- times when, you, when faith is called for. But presumption will often be what we default to and we will end up in a mess. Anytime you try to put words in God's mouth, you are in trouble. So here's an example. Um, The Bible is clear. It's clear. Clear as a bell that our God wants to heal sick people. Isaiah says that Jesus came. And bore those stripes, specifically, on purpose. Hundreds of years before it happened, Isaiah the prophet said, the Messiah will have his back split open for our healing. It's crystal clear. Jesus made it a priority to heal the sick everywhere he went. And he told us that he sent his disciples out while he was still with them and sent them on a healing tour. And they went to various cities and the power of God was present through his disciples to heal sick people. Then when Jesus uh, died, rose again and uh, ascended to the Father, he left a commission with the, his followers and his disciples. Heal the sick. You'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And the book of Acts and the epistles are full of, in, of the recording of inc- uh, um, discrete incidents and of the uh, principles in, around God's desire to heal sick people. And when Sue and I were much younger, 
a whole lot younger than we are now, we began to be impressed by that fact. We were reading the Bible and, and, and discovering for ourselves that, that, that God has power to heal and wants to heal people. However, we made a presumptuous step. We, in our, in our thinking, we jumped on a bandwagon that makes a little leap there from what, what God has promised to, okay, then God must want to heal Everybody, every time, when we ask for it. Healing on demand. The Bible doesn't teach that. We were putting words in God's mouth. So Sue, uh, until she had uh, the surgery that makes her have bionic vision, x-ray vision, that LASIK thing, I'm so jealous of her, Used to be blind as a bat without her glasses. <clears throat> and um, we, so we, we got to thinking, well, all right. And you start doing this two plus two equals four deal. And you think, well, okay, God wants to heal. I'm sick or I can't see well. Surely God must want to heal me now. Two plus two equals four. So we took her contact lenses and we flushed them down the toilet and we said, okay, God, do your thing. And then she got behind the wheel and was driving around town. We were presumptuous. We were putting words in God's mouth. Now, I know I'm leaving questions unanswered, but I don't, this is not a story, uh, uh, teaching about healing, so... Bear with me on that. I'm leaving some issues unresolved here. I believe, as I've said, I believe emphatically God wants to heal sick people. But it's not healing on demand. There's a, there's a, uh, it's, it's a big subject. But we make these kinds of presumptuous steps and then we think, well, they're, they're faith. And they're not. One of the things we had to really wrestle with as a church council as we were trying to figure out what to do about our, our facilities here and, and should we relocate and where to and how much could we afford and, and all that kind of stuff was this whole issue of presumption. And we, and we, we were looking at a situation where we couldn't, as, as far as we could tell, we can't stay here, but we can't afford there. So are we going to, are we putting words in God's mouth when we say to you, like I did last week, we believe God wants us to go there. And we didn't want to be presumptuous. And so we prayed, we waited. It's been, a, it's been many, many months. It's been over a year that we've been working on this. And during that period of time, your church council, along with all, many of you, because we've invited your prayer support as well, we've sought the Lord. And we didn't make a move. We did not sign a contract until we had a a word from God about this. Not just our presumptuous act. I know it's not, that that concept is not, you know, um, uh, uh, always so black and white, so crisp. But I think you know what I'm, I think you've experienced probably what I'm talking about. Where we want something bad enough that will put words in God's mouth. I can't tell you how many times I've had people come to me and say, the Lord told me. 
and, and something just, just uh, I, I can't explain it in my heart, something just thuds. It's not the clear, clean ring of the voice of God, a confirmation of God. It's sort of a thud. Because I know what they're doing is they're trying to put words in God's mouth. One lady came to me after a service. And no, no, she was, she was actually there at our church to uh, see a counselor. She'd been um, uh, uh, involved with a, a counselor who was working out of, our, out, of, out of our church because she had gone through a horrible, messy, despicable divorce. And we were trying to, to help her through that. So she came out of her counseling session, saw me in the hall, and she said, Pastor, I'm seeing someone, and I know he is God's will for me. And I felt this thud in my heart. He, I know he's God's will for me. He doesn't even mind when I pray before we have dinner. Thud, thud, thud. <laughs> Oh, and it was a train wreck, dear one. It was a train wreck. But she was trying to put words in God's mouth. Believe for something that God wasn't authorizing. I've had people come to me and say, I had a guy come to, to me one time. We were pastoring in Pleasanton. I don't know if you know the geography very well. But in those days, in the late, or, or uh, the, the mid-1980s, uh, there was a big exodus from the kind of the exurbs of the Bay Area out to, I mean, from the suburbs to the exurbs, out to like Tracy and Manteca and Modesto, where you could, you know, buy McMansions for, you know, next to nothing. And I had a guy come to me and said, I know God wants me to move to Tracy. I can buy, and, and this is what he didn't say, but he's thinking, I can buy this huge house. No matter that I'm going to have to spend my whole life commuting to work and never see my wife and kids. And by the way, I won't be able to come to this church anymore. Never mind, it's God's will. I'm over-dramatizing, but that's what was going on in his, in his heart. What he said to me was, it's God's will. I know God has told me. And I'm hearing this thud, thud, thud. Again, because not... You know, I don't know how to describe it. It's just that there's a sense when, when God is speaking, it rings true. I'm going to talk to you more about the, the tests for how we know that God is, some of the tests for how we know when God is speaking and we can put our faith in that and we can rest in that confidently. But here's this guy telling me this and it isn't but a matter of months, dear ones, after he sells his house and moves out there that he loses his, his family He's divorced and, and, they, and, he's, and uh, has walked away from God. A whole you know, just terrible scenario because of a decision to put words in God's mouth and act presumptuously. That is not faith. It is not faith. Just because someone sounds pious, just because someone adds, uh, uh, you know, tries to authorize what they've decided to do by saying, God told me, doesn't make it so. Let's talk about the tests for how we, some of the tests for how we can determine when God is speaking to us. First of all, there's the test of Scripture. The test of Scripture. God is never going to tell you to do something that doesn't harmonize with this book. Never. 
In 2 Timothy, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God is not going to be talking to you uh, about something discordant with his written word. The second test is the test of surrender. Dear one, are you willing to lay it down? Whatever this thing is that you think God has said to you, are you willing to lay it down? Because if you're not, right there is a very, very important clue as to whether or not you are venturing off in presumption or in faith. In Proverbs it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. When Sue and I were getting ready to plant our first church, uh, we, we were on staff at a, at a larger church here in the Bay Area and we were getting ready to go off uh, down the road about 10 miles and, and, and start a new congregation. And we were preparing to do that because we felt like the Lord told us to do it. And we'd waited on him and we'd sought him but we brought our plans to a group of uh, leaders, a group of elders in the church where we were presently serving on staff. And we said to them, we said, here's what we think God is saying to us. But if it doesn't ring true with you, we're not going. And we surrendered it. We laid it down. Now, thank God <laughs> it did ring true for them and uh, are with them. But that's the, the test of surrender. Don't lean on your own understanding. Um, the test of time. The test of time. Whenever you feel that, uh, that sense of urgency, it's got to happen now. I, I hate to keep using our own examples, but they're fresh in my mind. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, my, uh, my little PT cruiser, the engine blew up. And... Uh, uh, I got word from the mechanic that it was terminal. <laughs> and they, they hauled it off to, I don't know, some, some junkyard somewhere. And uh, so my first thought is, well, how, do you survive? how are we going to survive, honey, in this world without two cars? How are we going to do that? How are we going to survive, honey, without two cars? We must have a car. Oh, let's go down to the dealership right now. And you feel that urgency, don't you? There's times, I got to have that big screen now. How am I going to survive the how am I going to survive the DTV transition? <laughs> and you have that and it's so easy when you're feeling pressed to put words in God's mouth. Careful. Be careful. And so I I said I backed off and I said, "Honey, I I don't feel good about this." I don't, I'm not really sure what we should do. But one thing I know, I've learned the hard way. I don't want to put words in God's mouth. I don't want to act presumptuously. Let's just wait. So, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Thankfully, uh, the uh, uh, Kranzes have loaned us a car uh, in the last few days. Yeah, it's been, it's been wonderful. <laughs> Although it was great spending all that time with you. <laughs> But just last night, I, just before I, you know, drifted off into sleep, 
I was picturing myself in a new car. <laughs> and you just have to, you know, in those times, and I don't know what God has in mind for us, but I know this. I don't want to be in a hurry. And if the Lord is not saying now, and if he's not saying, uh, you know, what we need to do, I, I'm, I don't want to go there. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to hesitate every time. You know, I'm not saying you get up in the morning, grab your toothbrush and say, God, do you really want me to do this? I'm not sure. I don't really have a clear word from you. I'm going to just wait. Please don't do that. <laughs> Behave responsibly. You know, carry out your, your obligations. God gave you a brain. But you know, that, you know there are times that you need a word from God and you want to be careful. You don't put words in his mouth. And don't let the press of urgency cause you to become presumptuous. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. It only causes harm. That's what Psalm 37, 7 and 8 says. Another test is the test of counsel. I already gave you an example that that covers part of this when I was talking to you about the elders that we laid our vision for the church down to. God has thankfully granted to us safety in counsel. There are people you know who know the Lord uh, well enough to offer you counsel. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of that. Don't be afraid of that. Sometimes, sometimes we're afraid to, to, uh, to say to somebody, you know, this is what I think God is saying to me. How does that ring to you? Because we know, we know we're scamming God and we don't want anybody to expose it. Counsel. That's it. Proverbs says, Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. There's a difference, dear one, between faith and unbelief. It's pretty clear. But there's also a huge difference between faith and presumption. And in these days that we live in, call for faith not presumption. 